0: Hello, and welcome to The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Alice Brooks, the director of photography from In the Heights.
1: Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's so nice for to be able to be here with you.
0: This is certainly like the movie of the summer. I know summer just began. I think we're maybe two days into it. Mm-hmm. But this seems to be the, the big crowd pleaser, the one everybody's talking about fun, great music, great cinematography, and there's so much to talk about, and we'll get to it in just a minute. Before we go there, I just want to very quickly mention our sponsor for today, MZ Education for Creatives, MZ, M-Z-E-D. Of course, you can find them at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, and follow us on your favorite podcast app. Search Go Creative Show and hit subscribe, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all things Go Creative Show at go Creative Show. So, Alice, what a fun project to be part of. Watching this movie, it's like, first of all, I love musicals. I love movie musicals, too. And this is just such a fun film to watch. And it must have been a fun film to make.
1: It was, I, I call it a fairy tale summer. It was just like the most amazing summer of my life, and and many many people who worked on the movie felt the same way. Um, it was it was a fairy tale in that there were huge challenges and huge obstacles to overcome. Time being one of the biggest challenges, and then and then and then these huge triumphs. Like every day, there's 17 musical numbers, and when and uh, um, in, in the heights, and when we'd accomplish one. Um, some of them we only had one day to shoot. And when we uh, would accomplish one, it felt like, yes, we can keep going. Let's do it. And and everyone was really, really um, on board. And, and we all felt like we were making the same movie, which sometimes doesn't happen. So it was a really special experience.
0: Talk to me about the decision to shoot almost the entire film. It may be the entire film in actual locations versus studios. That's a big decision a huge logistical decision, especially in New York, New York's not the easiest place in the world to film. Um, I would love to hear how that decision was made, why, and then kind of what happened as a result.
1: So I, um, so I got to New York city in March, 2019 to start a 10 week prep period on, on in the Heights. And there were some locations, um, the script was still going through a, a final a final pass. And there were some location, some some scenes we thought we would find the location, um, or just build it on location. And then other scenes we thought we knew we were shooting in Washington Heights or in the surrounding neighborhoods around Washington Heights. But the more time John Chu and I and the production designer Nelson Coates spent in the neighborhood, the more it became clear that that all of, you know, not all of the movie, but as much as we could find there, we should. And it was really important to Lynn and Kiara, um, who wrote the, Kiara wrote the screenplay that we, that we did sort of embed ourselves in the community. And, and over the course of the 10 weeks of, of prep, I realized like I was falling in love with Washington Heights and, and, so we had a 49-day schedule. Ten days were on a soundstage. The rest of it was on location. Oh my God. Um, and I remember one of the locations that was really crazy to find was Abuela's apartment. We had looked at different places all over New York, and, and it was always in the back of our head, we'll probably just build it. And then the location manager one day said, you know, there's an apartment right here on our intersection. Let's look at it for the Rosario apartment for our big dinner scene. And we went in, and it was modern and narrow, and it's a railroad apartment, three connecting rooms, one window on either side. And John looked at it and said, this is it. This is Abuela's Nest. And the idea of home and nest and community is such a theme in the movie, and it seemed like a crazy idea from a production standpoint to shoot there, from a lighting standpoint to shoot there, but we were all on board. Especially since there,
0: there you sort of have two looks in that apartment. Well, you really three. You have the one where the house is full and Mm -hmm. it's just full of life, full of love, and it feels tight and congested and hot and it's supposed to. But then you have um, when the electricity goes out during the blackout. So then everything's now candlelit. And then you have this great scene where uh, near the end where um, Usnavi, I keep, I always screw up this name. Usnavi and Vanessa are kind of going through the empty apartment just before he's supposed to leave. And that was the point when I sort of realized, oh my God, I think this is a real location. Because of the way the camera moved around Vanessa when she's in the hallway, I was, I'm thinking, there's no false wall there. This is a real apartment. That was the scene that really came, where it came clear to me. I'm like, oh my God, they chose a real apartment here. And then reading more about the decision to choose to shoot, you know, in real location throughout the whole film became more apparent. I want to talk about um Abuela's three looks in that's in that apartment. The dinner scene, the blackout scene, and then of course when it's empty. How you made that apartment so dynamic um all throughout the film.
1: So the first time we go there, it's actually not a dinner scene. She's cooking dinner for to go to a party the next night and it's her and Nina and and um like I said the idea of nest was really important and And we wanted it to feel like a nest, to feel this warmth, to be the place where members of the community could go and be taken care of. And, um, and so, so we wanted it to feel like this orb of warmth and the kitchen in the apartments right in the middle of the apartment and gets very little light. It's quite dark in there. And, um, and the, the ceilings are fairly high maybe ten feet high I, I mean they're not super low but they're not super high either yeah that's not, and the that's whole not too bad. apartment's only fifteen feet wide and it's thirty feet long but at the kitchen it's narrower because the bathroom is is right next to the kitchen so you're splitting so you probably have five feet for the bathroom and ten feet for the kitchen wide and we've got this really intimate conversation. Um, So that's sort of the first look. And, and we couldn't move, you couldn't move anything in the apartment. Like the kitchen was the kitchen, the cabinets are there. And so we're right when Abuela says her line um, about not being invisible, about showing um, the world that we are not invisible, um, Mm. as she's looking at the napkins, um, we're like at minimum focus with Abuela. We couldn't get the camera any further back. We're right there with her. And, um, and so, and then, and then the next time we go to the apartment, um, uh, there are other little little scenes, but then the next time is during blackout. And so now the apartment is dark. Everything's dark. There's a blackout in the city. Um, and there's fireworks going on outside. And, um, for all our blackout scenes and fireworks scenes, we had Sky Panel 360s on roofs around uh, around our main intersection, and they did the firework effect. And you can feel the lights, the, light, the color, colors of the fireworks playing in that scene. And yeah. then the other thing was, one night, one um, before we shot that scene, John... Lynn, Kiara and I, um, there's this big thunderstorm and we were all thrown into the apartment one night just to like stay dry and there was no electricity. And so we all, um, John and I had talked about like putting how we would use iPhones or cell phones. So we took our, we put out our iPhones and John and I started walking around of whale's apartment and looking for beautiful colorful pieces of glass and started putting them on top. So, so it's, Um, so it's Lynn Kiara me and the um, the and John and the um, set photographer McCall and that's it in there and we're in this dark blackout apartment and we lit it that way and that was sort of my lighting test for for um, um, for blackout in the apartment and and then the and then immediately after blackout we have Alabanza which is Candlelit, so now the fireworks aren't going on outside. There's no cell phones on, and we we use lots of double wick candles around the apartment um, um, as people bring them in and light candles for abuela. And then at the very end, you see the empty apartment, and it's for a number called champagne, and it's the only. Um, number that we shot as a single shot and we did we did it 14 times it flows through the whole apartment Usnavi is leaving the next morning for the Dominican Republic and um, in that scene we um, since it is a oneer, we don't have any places to hide lights and and so we used um, we used an 18k Fresnel and an 18k Airy Max on a lift outside the um, 175th street side of the of the um in the living room um to the hard the 18k arimax pounded light into the beautiful wood floors and bounced light everywhere and and the curtains lace so it went through the lace curtain and then in the back um we had two m90s through diffusion like very thick diffusion um, and in that room we spin around and do I think two or three 360s inside the room and then in the kitchen like I said it's a very dark space we just used a couple of light gear products to hide to hide light um, in two places one uh, two light mats and then a light gear product under the under the stove
0: overall I think in the heights just has a, a really natural look to it like everything feels natural and I think Some of that must just be contributed to the fact that you're shooting it outside in real environments on the actual streets. But talk to me about how you came to the final look of what this film was going to be. What what were the discussions like? Was that the intention from the beginning?
1: Um, So we knew we wanted a very intimate experience for the dialogue scenes, and then and then having some spectacle with the musical numbers and some magical realism to the musical numbers. And um, as we were prepping, we also had ambition to make a classic New York movie. And so, so John and I uh, met in college, we bonded over our love of musicals. We have a huge musical knowledge. We, I shot his short film when the kids are away nine or 20, 19 years ago when we were at USC together. Um, so, so the musical are, we both have encyclopedias of musical film musicals in our head. Um, but what we, so we didn't really look at musicals, but what we did look at were classic New York movies: "Do the Right mm. Thing," "Searching for Bobby Fischer," "Moonstruck," um, to see what 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 does what are the parts that make a classic New York story and and what did Washington you find? Heights. I'm sorry.
0: What did you find? Well, kind of going back to those movies.
1: Well, so as I was looking at it, then we started on Instagram, started looking at all these local photographers. Mm -hmm. And that, and so we looked at those movies, but then we're looking at these local photographers and realized they were our inspiration. And at the end, in the end credits, there are all these photographs with, you know, it says directed by John M. Chu that come up. And those are all local photographers we had looked at. So John used the the photographer's work as the the end credits. Um, design. And I'm so grateful that he did that, that it was such an amazing idea and a huge thank you to, to the members of the community who, who inspired us. So, so in such a huge way.
0: What do you think it was about that, about the photography that really got you more so than looking at, I I love that pathway of thinking, okay, we're not going to go musical. We're going to go to classic films and then ultimately going to just street photography from local photographers. That's I love that. I love how you ended there. Uh, but what do you think that did to the film by being inspired by that instead of, like you said, classic New York films?
1: While I was there and falling in love with Washington Heights, I realized my job wasn't to to it, it, we we didn't we didn't need to make some Hollywood version of Washington Heights um, that it was important to capture the beauty that was already there. And the light in Washington Heights is different than anywhere else I've been in the world. I grew up in New York city and then we moved to Los Angeles and, um, and the light in Washington Heights is so beautiful. It is uh, it, in the summer when we shot the, the, the sun lines up almost perfectly with 175th street. And then you have the George Washington bridge behind it. And the buildings are lower than a lot of the rest of Manhattan and they're instead of red brick there there's some yellow brick and some beautiful gray perfectly patinaed brick and Mm. so when the light hits it it causes this cooler shadow and um and then and then you also have two it's very a very narrow tip of Manhattan and so you've got you've got two bodies of water on either side that are these huge reflecting pools that also are causing this cooler feeling. And so when I talked to the colorist about when we were doing the DI about, about summer in Washington Heights, it was really important to me that it felt exactly what it felt like that summer I was there. And I said to him, it wasn't a Hawaii summer. It's not a LA summer. It's not a tropical summer. And it's not even a New York city summer. It's a very specific Washington Heights summer. And, um, and so then we started, we actually started coloring carnival first. And I felt like if we could get the colors right there, then the rest of the movie would fall into place. And, and so that's how we ended up with our color palette, um, in the end, but, but it's, it's, I, I being inspired by, by, the street photographers. I still, I mean, I'm constantly on, there's a, there's a a Instagram feed called Uptown Collective. And I I mean, they're still my favorite, favorite pictures.
0: I'm going to write that down here so we can put it in the show notes. Uptown Collective. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. So we'll put that in the show notes. I'm so glad you mentioned that about the look of summer because that was something that I was, I, I wanted to, I wanted to actually ask you about that because what you didn't do is what i think a lot of filmmakers do when they're trying to create a sense of heat they sort of make things very warm they kind of almost have an orange sort of cast over everything and um and you know it's certainly effective it, you feel that heat but i think in in the heights you didn't really do that you sort of let it feel hot and congested but it was in like a it was like it was warm but it had a little bit of Christmas to it crispness. Do you know what I mean? Like it had harder, harder edges and it had like that cool feel to it. I thought it was a really unique thing. And now knowing where that came from was really interesting.
1: Um, yeah, we, I mean, a lot of the time I, you know, in the background, uh, the highlights were super bright, but, and I feel like the hot, hot highlights also lend to the feeling of heat, um, and people standing in the shade in the cool shadows. Um, also also lend itself to you know when you're in when it's that hot in the summer you don't want to be standing out in the sun you want to you want shade all
0: right so let's talk about the camera package for in the heights what did you end up choosing
1: so we shot on a panavision dxl2 camera and we used um anamorphic g-series lenses that we modified um so that was our camera package and we chose it you know i tested actually quite a lot of cameras i tested um I tested different Alexa cameras. I tested the Sony Venice, um, and in the end, I just—it really was an intuitive feeling. I loved the um, way—I loved the way the the G series looked on the Panavision camera. Specifically, I loved the way the flare, the shape of the flares, and um, we we wanted to sort of embrace flares, and that also added to the heat. Um, We didn't, if there was natural flares happening, we didn't try to hard mat things or use lenses to get the light off the, off the glass. We just let them be, we wanted imperfections. Um, And, and so that, that's where we landed.
0: So you had all these different camera tests and ultimately ended up where you were. And I think it, it sort of makes sense with those flares contributing to the heat and really giving us that sense of, I think some something about what makes a city feel so um, like tightly packed is that that peaks of sun that comes through because it's not like you're in this big area where there's no buildings or just a bunch of houses in some valley somewhere. It's you get these like sharp peaks of the sun coming through and it really does dictate what time of day it is. You feel the warmth there. And I think flares are just such an important part of that when the sun plays such an important role in like those those hits peeking through and bouncing off of buildings.
1: One of my favorite scenes to shoot was Benny's Dispatch. We shot it very early on, and it's a real location on a caddy corner to our bodega and we our bodega. We shot the exterior on location at 175th street in Audubon. And, but we sh- built our interior. We just couldn't find a bodega that gave us enough space. Um, and also yeah. just to shut down a business for as long as we needed w- was tricky. But when we shot Benny's dispatch, you've got a shot of Nina singing, sing with the, the, there's glass windows all around her. And, um, we shot it in the morning and the sun was coming from the east. But the thing about it was that, that and we were f- cameras facing west, but you've got all these amazing flares that just happened because the light was bouncing off of the building across the street. And then hitting a car as it passes by, and they were just these little, little subtle, subtle, subtle things. But it, it then we shot that very early on in the movie, and I, I looked at the gaffer and like we need to remember this when we go to do our bodega on, on, on the soundstage. And so we placed mirrors all over the soundstage set, and lots of hard lights, small beams, hidden places, um, mirrors hidden places with mold beams hitting into them, refracting all over the store.
0: Yeah. I I love that look. And I think that, and I think that is so true. The light is always bouncing. You never know what's going on. And, um, having that just flashes of light everywhere, I think really contributed to making that environment look as real as possible. I want to talk about some specific scenes, some specific numbers. We've got to start with, um, 96,000, that big pool number. I mean, on location, actually in a pool, water going everywhere. I mean, that has got to be one of the most logistical uh, challenges of the film. And we actually had a question from, let's see here, because I want to do it justice. Denise S44 on Instagram wanted to know the most challenging song to choreograph in film. And I'm guessing that's the one. So maybe maybe that's the intro to it. But let's, if not, we can go back to Denise's question, because I want to talk about 96,000.
1: <laughs> it was incredibly challenging. I, I- I can't pick the most challenging number because each one had each number had its own very unique challenges. The challenge for the pool was that um, we were supposed to shoot there over two days and we had to shoot there before the swimming pool opened for the summer. So it was around this time two years ago. It was like June 20th. And... um, And no one had ever been allowed to shoot at Highbridge Park Pool, which is right down. You can walk, take the same path Usnavi, Benny, and Sunny and Graffiti Pete take to the pool from the bodega. I mean, it's just right there. And um, we and it was freezing cold and raining. And we have 500 extras and 75 dancers and our every single cast member except for Nina, um, Nina and Abuela um, and. Kevin Rosario. So you've got, you've got everyone there. Everyone's there. And wow. it was freezing The and the water was freezing and there were heaters in the water, but no one realized the water was leaking out of the pool. There was some leak. And so the pool was constantly being filled with more cold water. And John got in the pool with, uh, with, the, with the cast and the dancers and the extras for, it ended up we had to shoot there for three days in the end because the weather was not cooperating. We could shoot some some things when it was pouring rain, like underwater. But anytime you saw the surface of the water, we had to pause if it was raining. Wow.
0: It does not look like it's raining in that scene. That's, that's pretty amazing.
1: And everyone was very, very great with like, I mean, John, we were turned towards sort of the bleachers where the... Um, Salon women are singing. And then I saw like this huge blue sky open up. And it, it, the other direction, I said, John, can we turn around and shoot the big crane finale where you've got all the dancers and, spl- and all the splashing there in the shallow part of the pool at the very end? I'm like, can we do that right now? They're backlit. It, it's going to be perfect. And he said, sure. And like everyone rallied and we did it and we got it while the sun was still out. Um, so I mean, it was very much, it was, it was, we were all very fluid and flexible and that week in terms of, or, or those three days in terms of what what we were shooting and when, because we just had, the weather was a massive challenge.
0: Now, in this scene, you also have that kind of overhead shot where you have like the synchronized swimming. Um, so you must've had a big crane over there. Were there any issues with having a crane on the pool deck?
1: Yeah, so we, when we, Conceived the shot of Vanessa singing, doing the Busby, Busby Berkeley shot um, of Vanessa in the pool. We always thought, oh, we'll just get a drone shoot that. I'm, New York City has no a no drone policy. At least they did when we were shooting. So then we started looking at cable cams. They took hmm. um, my um, the key grip and I went there, and the rigging grip went there a whole bunch to the pool a whole bunch of times and just trying to figure out. But but that didn't that the. Uh, Um, cable cam wasn't the right choice. There was really no good place to rig it from. It was going to be in the way. And then we finally were like, well, we'll use a crane. But the problem is that the pool is the was the reservoir system for New York in the early 1900s. And so underneath the pool deck are all these tunnel, this whole tunnel system. And we could only put a certain amount of weight on the deck. And so really the city engineers, New York park engineers, dictated what size crane we could use because they told us what weight the deck could support. And then in the end, it wasn't a big enough shot. We couldn't get wide enough. Um, so that shot is we switched to spherical lenses because... Um, you can use the full 8K sensor of the DXL if you use spherical lenses, whereas with anamorphic, um, you're closer to a 4K sensor size. So we were able to um, we were able to use the full 8K sensor, get a much wider shot um, than if we had stayed with anamorphic lenses.
0: Now, are you going to rehearsals ahead of time at like studio locations, or are you doing your rehearsals
1: on set? Um, the rehearsal process started maybe two weeks before I got to New York. Um, and the choreographer and I've known each other since 2009. Um, we did a series with John Chu called the Legion of Extraordinary Dancers. And that's where I learned the importance of going to dance rehearsal as much as possible. Um, and so John and I would spend our mornings in Washington Heights looking at locations. Then we'd meet we'd meet Christopher Scott at the dance rehearsal spaces. We had a couple of different ones um, based on what size number, like when we did Pacensei Fay, and Carnival, which have a lot of dancers and need more space. We, that was staged in a beautiful dance studio in Harlem. And then a lot of the other ones were done at Ripley Greer in Midtown, which is where a lot of the Broadway shows rehearse there, rehearse there um, shows before they have stage space. But, um, so I'd go to dance rehearsal as much as possible. Chris and I have a very easy relationship and can talk through things. We're very comfortable with each other. It's a great collaboration on Sundays. John, on our day off, John, on one of our days off, John, Chris, and I would always spend Sunday at John's apartment just making plans, sharing videos that we took during dance rehearsal. And then, um, and then John would edit those videos to, to see like, and we'd all discuss, start to discuss, oh, this really should be a crane shot here, or we should be low here. And you know things you don't have at dance rehearsal, but um, that's sort of how we built, how we started building our musical numbers
0: and are you doing any test shots at these rehearsals because like you had mentioned you only had 2 days that turned into 3 for the 96,000 scene at, at the pool i can i i can only imagine that you really don't have much time to do full rehearsals on set you you only had a couple days <sighs>
1: So for the pool, then the weekend before the dancers all weren't in the pool all weekend. Um, oh. and so we we went up there. Um, we all met up there on the weekend before we shot that number. Um, Carnival was all staged. Um, I think they went in and staged the day before, but we were shooting. So we or the Friday before, but we so we couldn't see that. That them work it out in the space. But at the dance rehearsal space, the production designer and his team were amazing. They brought in, they they taped off the air like the the as best as possible the size of the space we had for carnival. and um and then, I mean, I've got on my iPhone, I've got the dance rehearsal. and so many of the shots on my phone are exactly what we did. Uh, the ones from dance rehearsal are like where I mean, especially there's this one bit where, where, um, where we're sort of spinning around from, from group to group, to group, from country to country, to country. And, and as we did that, um, that i got that exact shot in the dance rehearsal space on my phone. Let's take
0: a quick break and talk about MZ, empowering filmmakers. Now on MZ, you can think of it as kind of like the Netflix for filmmaking education, because when you become an MZ pro member, like a Netflix member, you have access to the entire catalog of material there. And there is so much there that you're going to want to take advantage of. First of all, uh, MZ gives you hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours of high quality video-based filmmaking education that covers all sorts of topics like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling. It's all the stuff that we wanna know here at Go Creative Show. And you can find out more at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. Now, the courses there are awesome. And I'm, I want to bring one to your attention because it's new and it's, I think, really valuable for the Go Creative Show audience. It's called Indie Film Blueprint. And this course is basically a roadmap for how to plan, shoot, and sell your first indie feature. I mean, is that not exactly what we here at Go Creative Show need to know about? So please. Check that course out for yourself. And yes, you can buy individual courses and that is a great way to learn at MZ. But what I suggest is you become an MZ Pro member because like I said earlier, then you have access to everything, this Indie Film Blueprint course, but then also everything else. And there's so much stuff on MZ that is perfect, perfect for the Go Creative Show audience. So please check it out for yourself at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. And here's the best part. You get a 20% off discount of anything you buy, whether it's an individual course or a membership, anything. 20% off by using GCS20 at checkout. GCS, Go Creative Show, 20. So there it is. Check it out for yourself at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. MZ, empowering filmmakers. I want to talk about when the sun goes down, which is... The scene in the film where they're kind of dancing on the side of the building, the camera's turning a lot, you're playing with perspective, you're playing with angles. And we have a question on Instagram from John MC Writer who wants to know, how did you shoot the extraordinary and seamless dancing up the wall? So I think this is one of those scenes where people watch, it's beautiful, and they say, how did you do this? So tell us, we want to know.
1: Well lots of people think it oh it's just visual effects they're on wires um but it wasn't we we um I, I, there are definitely definitely visual effects to it, but all the dancing is real, no dance doubles, no wires um and all the lighting cues are real um so what we did was we shot that on a sound stage and we've got a horizontal um a big dance floor, basically, that's all brick that looks like the side of the building. And and during prep, we went and looked for what we thought like where the building would actually sit, and then modeled um, Nina's building off of an, an existing location very close to the George Washington Bridge. And that's where we shot our plate shots for because um, we are in a green screen world on the stage with the with the with the building as a dance floor. Um, but to make it seem like they're dance, suddenly dancing up the side of the wall, we start with a vertical um, fire escape part of the part of the wall, and it's a, a hydraulic. It's on hydraulics, and and it slowly tips backwards. And so Chris figured out with the dancers how to make it how to hide that. Um, how to, how to make it seem like Nina goes and leans back against the window. And so she's braced for when the hydraulic starts to, when the building starts to tip. And then Benny um, with all his strength is able to pull himself up onto the wall and you don't see it. And, and then, um, and then the lighting challenge for me is you've got a sky source and when it's flat, the sky needs to be, needs to be vertical. And when it's, when 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 the building, when the fire escape is upright, the sky needs to be above you. And so um, the gaffer and I create and the key grip created these three huge soft boxes um, sky, uh, um, with sky panel um, S60s, uh, 120 of them through light grid, I believe. And um, And closer to the sun, the sky panels are warmer and they cool off. As as we get further away from the sun, down the street, and and then as the building starts to dip, the sky panels start to shift and and turn on. So um, so you've got the top ones on, and they start to dim off, and the next ones start to dim on. So you always have a constant sky source. But then we have a sun. Now it's when the sun goes down. We've got the sun setting at an exact specific period of time, and we shot our plate shots before we ever. Um, we shot our plate shots before we shot our soundstage part, because we shot the when the sun goes down the very last couple of days of our shooting schedule. And I wanted the sun um, during Manhattan Henge in New York, which is when the, the sun lines up perfectly with the streets. There are a couple of days during that period of time where the sun is actually north of the George Washington Bridge, and it's usually south. And for the angle on the building, I wanted the sun to just be slightly slightly north, and you see it through the bridge that way instead of just to the left of it. And so, so now we have the same thing, which is we need the shadows to stay consistent. So we've got four people pushing a 20K on a giraffe crane with a lamp operator in the crane tilting the lamp and moving it in an exact, uh, as the building's turning so that the sun stays exactly in the right place as well. So so it was a huge challenge for everyone. It took everyone's brain power. We started talking about it on day one. And then we did, uh, we did a motion capture session where we're in a VR environment and we got goggles on. It was Chris, me, the visual effects supervisor and John on a Saturday. And we just like, and two dancers. And we started to figure out like, when should when should the world be hard? when should the bridge be upright, and when should it be on its side? So when do we shift how do we shift our access? What cells define gravity the most? And then at first, we're like, well, we'll just lock the camera onto the wall so that that tips perfectly at the perfect time and instead, we realized, no, what sells it is that you need a really, really long first shot and a really, really long last shot. And so we can't anchor the camera to the building. So we shot on a techno crane. And so then the operator also had to like be completely in sync with when the building was turning. Um, it was so much fun and, and such a huge challenge and creatively and technologically. And, um, it was, it was just so much fun to do. (laughs)
0: That must have been insane. Somewhere there has to be like a making of little featurette about that. There there has to be. It has to be somewhere because that's that's one of those scenes where people just want to know because it's so logistically challenging. Was anybody filming behind the scenes for you guys during that?
1: We definitely had a behind the scenes crew with us all the time. I haven't seen any I haven't seen a release of anything, but I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, it was it was it was. It was a lot of work. And the AD scheduled it really beautifully. We shot it over the course of four days, but we only shot in the mornings. And then in the afternoon, we'd move to our bodega. And it was great because when he scheduled it that way, we were able to learn things that we could then change or get different tools or, or rehearse different things. Um, or the dancers could have more, or Benny and Nina could have more time figuring figuring out their part because they weren't shooting on the bodega. So it gave us all all room to breathe, really, and 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 pivot and make adjustments from what we learned that morning. What do you prefer
0: when you're filming musicals? It, do you prefer something like that scene when the sun goes down where it's very scripted it's very planned every move has to be exactly as it as it's planned or else it's not going to work or do you like something that's a little bit more free just letting the dancers do their thing grabbing shots whenever you want what what's more fulfilling to you as a cinematographer
1: oh gosh i, I both are very fulfilling i mean i love i love having improving with the dancers. Um, for sure. I love, I love having the steady cam operator improv with the dancers. I think that's so much fun, but then you shoot something like Pascensi Ife, where every single shot is so planned. Um, um, or when the sun goes down, um, or, or champagne, those were all so very specific. Um, and then, and then, so, so I think you find some beauty in, and, and magic in, the
0: unplanned stuff. Um, So I like both. Fair answer. I'll let you get by saying (laughs) both. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about the champagne scene just a little bit more because I know we talked about it earlier, but there is a specific question from Kit R. Mac on Instagram asking to talk through the process of building and blocking and how you manage lighting. And some of these questions have already been answered, but I think we can probably talk about the blocking. Yeah, it
1: can be more specific. Let's dive into that one a little bit more. So that was sort of a miracle. Like everything just sort of like fell into place on in the Heights. Um, We were supposed to shoot that on a Friday and the Sunday before John, Chris and I weren't meeting. We didn't, we were going to shoot the finale that week and then something, a dialogue stuff. And then when the sun goes down, so we didn't like have a Sunday meeting because, or not when the sun goes down, champagne was on Friday. So the finale isn't, dance and we we knew what we were doing there so that wasn't something we were going to meet on and and then um and then it poured rain on Monday and so we had to end up shooting champagne on on that Monday instead and luckily on Sunday morning I called the line producer I said is there any chance John Chris and I can get into Abuela's apartment today he's like sure why and he, I'm like I feel like we need to be in the space to look at champagne one more time we've looked at it at the dance rehearsal space but I would like and and the line producer's like well it's full of all the apartment stuff because we're shooting scene work in there that week but if it's still useful to you sure um let me see if I, we can get you in and then I called John and Chris I'm like if we can get keys can we go mm. and do this and they were game and so we we all ended up meeting there and the three of us ended up meeting there and and it's a two person scene. So sometimes John would hold the iPhone and it would be me and Chris as, as, as Vanessa Nusnavi and sometimes Chris and John would be Vanessa Nusnavi. And we just like all start to walk things through. And, and it was wonderful because the things that aren't at the dance rehearsal space were the reflections. So there's a mirror over the fireplace and there's this glass cabinet in the kitchen. And, we wanted to feel this sort of constant pulling together, coming apart, pulling together. and we wanted to be with different characters at different times. and And those reflections gave us gave us key, like gave us little glimpses into what the other person was feeling mm. at that moment. and so um and then and then we were able to um uh, so. So we walked through, we had music, there, the apartment was jam-packed, but we were still able to find what the essence of the shot was. And of course, when, Be- um, when Usnavi and Vanessa were there, when, when Anthony and Melissa were there on Monday walking it, they had ideas as well, and we incorporated those ideas. Um, but, but again, I, I mean, I've got a rough, a rough shot on my iPhone of, of Chris and John as Vanessa and Usnavi. I love
0: that. You have you have to hold that stuff dear because uh, I people like me want that desperately to share on on our pages. <laughs> That'd be so interesting to see. I love that. Um yeah. All right. Let's talk about my favorite 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 scene in the film and I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly. Well, hold on. Paciencia Mhm. Uh, fe.
1: Paciencia,
0: fe. paciencia fe. Okay. Ife, Yeah. I this scene, oh my God, this one gave me chills. I had to watch it twice. I was absolutely obsessed with it. Uh, this to me was like, it, it was everything that I loved about the film because it it went from warmth and comfort and niceness and then all of a sudden it turned like evil and dark and it had the congestion of like that, that feeling of narrow pathways and hallways. You had some natural light coming in. You had some, it, it, the fantastical sort of like musical fantasy world stuff. It it had everything, and it also had the really amazing tight, tight dances here. It was just perfection for me. I absolutely loved it, and I'd love to get your thoughts on what the challenges were for this scene, because it seems as though there were quite a lot.
1: So this scene was a major challenge. It was. I remember when I got to New York for scouting, it, it was one of the first locations we started looking for Um, originally John thought like a black box of some sort, or, so we looked at theater spaces. We thought, well, maybe we just do something on the soundstage. The production designer took us to these amazingly beautiful spaces, like uh, in lower Manhattan, just architecturally gorgeous spaces. We looked at the United Palace Theater, which is where we ended up premiering the movie um, in Washington Heights. And none of, none of them felt right. And I can't remember, I just read it the other day too, and I still still can't remember when John realized it should be a train car, um, but we were looking, oh, I remember now, we were looking at subway, we needed a subway car for a couple of different things, and so we were at the Transit Museum in Brooklyn, and they got just all these old, beautiful, vintage cars, and and the song is about Abuela's immigrant journey, about her coming to the United States when she's a little, little girl, and about what her mom, with her mom, and what their dreams were, what her mother's dreams were, and and what the reality of spending then your whole life cleaning floors on the Upper East Side. And um, every time I talk about this number, I get chills. It, it, it. Um it is such a powerful number, and Olga did just such an amazing job and um who plays ab- who plays abuela. um so 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 then we needed a pla the transit museums just filled with train cars. It just was not, and it's narrow and it was not the right platform to shoot it on. So then we started looking at platforms and they took us to the one where, where they shot the bad music video and just different like places you've seen mi- many times and I said I'm like there must be something else and there's like well there's this one other abandoned platform but it really we really are not going to be able to get access to it I'm like take us there take us there and it was out in Brooklyn on the D avenue line and it's three stories underground it's under a working platform it is huge and there's sort of you can sort of see tunnels it's it's underground but you can see tunnels light light tunnels on either side so it's only a portion and now that's now the, the subway's above ground there and um, where the station is and and it is it's abandoned so there was like pigeons everywhere i mean it was really it was really dirty and Um, It was perfect. And we, it it was cleaned. It was, but it was still three stories underground and no elevator and so many lighting thing implements that we had to bring down and cranes and it was hot. And, um, and we had one day to shoot it. Oh my God. No way. You did that entire scene in one day. There's just no way. So this was another scene we ended up with a second day on. We had one day to shoot uh, the graffiti tunnel was a different day. That's at the 191st Street station um, in Washington Heights. But the but all the stuff with the subway car, her in her modern subway car through until she touches light pole pole and is back in the subway car. But then when she exits the station, that's the only times we're not in at that station. We had one day to do that, and then and oh we're like good gung ho. We're like so planned out two takes on everything. Everyone has to nail the lighting cues. Olga has to be perfect. Live singing has to be perfect. Everything has to be perfect. And we just keep moving on and on and on. And then a trash train comes through and we have to pull all our cars out of the thing, out of the station. We have to de-rig all our lighting in the cars. Oh my God. um, My heart hurts
0: for you uh, hearing this story. (laughs)
1: And in some ways it was very painful In other ways we ended up with a whole other, we had to go back there and you couldn't merge it. It was not anywhere near where we were shooting anything else. So we got a full extra day. So we finished what we had planned. And then we, we went back and shot a couple of other little, little things that we had missed along the way, but it was, it was so challenging on so many levels. So I, I think that actually might have been the most challenging number to do. It
0: sounds like it. Wow. Oh my God. That I, I just, when I hear these stories about something being done like that in one day, it just sounds, I mean, I too, but the intention was one, which is insane. You must've had crew members being like, oh, really, Alice, this is the one we have to use. <laughs> Can't we just do this
1: in the studio? <laughs> I think everyone was uh, like on board and when, and, and I mean, I know they were, we, we did lighting tests at uh, 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 the, the gaffer, the key grip, um, the um, costumes department dancers. We all met on a, a, also another weekend. I mean, the number of weekends I worked uh, during this movie, but like it was, it's, but I was so passionate about it, but I just was so intensely focused on this movie and loved this movie with all my heart. Um, that, um, so we, we did all these lighting tests and John came and, and, and we fine tuned, we knew Cuba, Cuba in the, in the number is represented by this yellowy gold, amberish light. And then, and then New York is represented by a very cool light. And so we picked it fine, fine tuned exactly what those two colors were. Um, and then, um, and then we had the graffiti tunnel ends it and the graffiti tunnel, um, we only had from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. to rig and shoot and do our all our lighting cues. It's a 900-foot tunnel. It was 109 degrees when I got there at 5 p.m. And the tunnel is literally sweating. It was so humid. Like, all the beautiful... I mean, it, like, in terms of, of having it, luck, I mean, the fact that there was the tunnel is sweating and it just creates this beautiful, beautiful light when our lights chase down the length of the tunnel because you've got all these just places to reflect off of these beads of water.
0: A question from Gracie Clinton on Instagram asking advice for young and female DPs. What are your thoughts?
1: I think we're in a remarkable time for women. I think if you are passionate and love cinematography, no matter what gender you are or um or where you grew up or any anything i mean it is a job i i i i wanted to be a cinematographer since i was 15 years old i there's not a single other job i've ever wanted there there's nothing else for me i um i wanted to be a cinematographer and a mom and i'm both and um it is If you love it, then go for it and, and, and find amazing people surround yourself with amazing people. I mean, look for amazing people to, to build your career with. I, I, John Chu and I've known each other for 20 years and I met a whole bunch of other people at film school who, who I still work with. Um, and and just work with really nice people and, and surround yourself with really nice people.
0: I love it. You are a lot of fun to talk to. And the film is so great. You guys, if you have not seen it, what's wrong with you? Go out and see it. It's on HBO Max. It's in theaters. It's everywhere. You can't You can't walk down the street without bumping into the movie. Go watch it. You will love it. It's perfect summer fun enjoyment. And I loved it. You will too. Alice, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. All right, I wanna thank Alice Brooks, the director of photography of In The Heights for coming on today and talking to us. That was such a fun interview and I hope you guys loved it. Please let us know by leaving comments everywhere you find us. And of course you can find us all over the place, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For those of you just listening to me and you say, you know what, I wanna see what Ben Consoli sounds like. I wanna see the guests on Go Creative Show. Good news, you can simply by going to YouTube and following Go Creative Show. It's all there. I also want to thank Connor Crosby from IgnitionVisuals.com. He produces the show. And Dave Siegel from Siegelsound.com mixes and masters and makes, so, makes the show sound so good. So check them both out over at their websites. And of course, all things Ben Consoli, you can find at Ben Consoli on Instagram and Twitter. I post a lot about the different projects that I'm doing. I've been doing a lot of virtual production, as you guys know, so I've been posting about that, and just general filmmaking fun. Uh, So you can check it out there, at Ben Consoli on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of The Go Creative Show, a
1: podcast for filmmakers.